You're listening to Tabletop and Beyond, Guild 9 Gaming Podcast, covering board games to war games and beyond. And welcome back to Tabletop and Beyond. I am your host, Justin, and I am the merry leader of this band. <laughs> He's so merry. We're going to talk and, about that later. Exactly. So I'm here with my uh, underlings, Dan and Jason. Hey. <laughs> I'll always be your underling. Oh, boy. Uh, yeah, we actually have a great show for you that talks about hierarchies in role-playing games and the good, the bad, and the ugly with that. So, uh, without further ado, let's get into the show. By the way, I just want to let you all know that I am sipping a nice, warm cup of hot chocolate as we bring you tonight's entertainment. I thought you just <laughs> would like to know that. It's like all the other podcasts were like, what are we drinking tonight, guys? Yeah, exactly. What are we drinking? What yeah, we got I... some Nestle? <laughs> it is, and uh, much to my wife's chagrin, she is half Swiss, and so oh. the hot chocolate of choice in our family is Swiss Miss chocolate. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I was in charge of ordering the groceries the other day, and I put Nestle in there, and oh, it no. caused a commotion. Oh boy! <laughs> do you do the ones with the little marshmallows in the packets? Uh, so, I mean, sure, if I can get them, but they were all out because it's winter time, so I don't know what's yeah. going on, and. I prefer the darker hot chocolate yes. um, rather than, like, the milk chocolate, right, hot chocolate. I am a and pure dark chocolate. Yeah, man. I love it. And uh, all they had was, like, the super milk Swiss Miss, and so I'm like, I'm getting the Nestle Rich. Which I explained it to my wife, too. I said, listen, you shouldn't be too mad. Nestle's a Swiss company, too, so, you know. <laughs> I do have a sidebar on hot chocolate. I experienced hot chocolate in a new way for the first time in my life oh. only yesterday. How is this way? My wife made what is called a hot chocolate bomb. Stop me if you've heard oh, about this. Okay, okay, okay. Uh, melt I a have whole, to continue. You melt a whole bunch of uh, Toll House chocolate chips, the good Sold. chocolate chips. You melt them. You put them in a mold, like a half sphere mold that's like uh, smaller than a racquetball, bigger than a golf ball. Yeah, and you then, drink it with water. No, 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 no. <laughs> No, 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 no. I'm not done oh, yet. Oh, you lost me. Come with me. Come with Come with me on this adventure. Then you put the amount of uh, Swiss Miss, in this case, powder that's called for in a regular hot chocolate. Okay. And you throw real marshmallows in. Okay, you let those things sh- freeze up in the freezer first. Oh, the you balls. take them out of the freezer. Yeah. You pour in the powder. You put in the real marshmallows. You cover. You take one top of the sphere and put it on top with some more chocolate and seal it shut. Put it in the fridge or the freezer. Come back to it whenever. Drop that into a cup. Pour hot milk on it and watch it explode and stir and it becomes this crazy hot chocolate. So wait, so time out. I time am out. lost, but I love it. So yeah. so what I'm hearing is you have a sphere, two yes. halves of a sphere. You fill yes. the sphere with marshmallows and powder. And powder. And, and then, then you seal the sphere just like Michael Crichton's novel sphere. Yes. Oh, yes. And leave it in the fridge so it doesn't melt. Yes. And, and when then you're you ready. put the ball in the cup, yes. pour hot milk all over it, uh-huh. and watch it explode in a, in a fury in, of flavor. In a fury of flavor, and then you stir it and you drink it. And it was probably the best cup of hot chocolate I've ever had in my life. And I've got a bomb in the fridge right now because my kids thought it was too sweet and chocolatey. And I'm like, you all have problems. Yeah. Anyway, like sorry. It. That was a uh, quite the rabbit no hole. I apologize, needed. but hey, it's geeky and it's awesome. It so good. the I think the counter to the um, 
too sweet would be to get like semi sock uh semi sweet oh, yeah. chocolate chips. That'd be uh, really good. Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm yeah. in. I'm in. Yeah, or Hershey Dark or something. Something yeah. that's not as so saccharine. I'm yeah. a super dark chocolate kind of guy. I always prefer like 70%. I love it dark. Cacao! Yeah. Yeah, that's I was you know it's dark. Our buddy start Mike flipping letters. <laughs> Our buddy Mike who listens to the show is always getting was always getting dark chocolate. He handed me a piece of dark chocolate once. It was like 90 plus percent cacao. Oh, wow. It was like chewing smoke. Yeah. <laughs> cacao, I love it. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. My grand my grandfather would always eat dark chocolate. He was like, this is my heart medicine. <laughs> like the doctor prescribed me some other stuff, but this is what I I Good like grandpa. It. Yeah. Yeah. So without further ado. Ado. Uh how was your geek week, Dan? Uh really great. I was watching uh Hulu and Hulu's like, Mythbusters is going away in eight days. I'm like, I didn't even know you were on here. So I turn on Mythbusters, and the Star Wars episode for 2015 was the first one on there. And I'm like, I remember watching this in 2015. I have no memory of it. I want to watch it again. So they're doing the Tauntaun experiment. Could Luke have survived inside the Tauntaun? Mm -hmm. Okay. So they said, well, we had to actually, to do this accurately, we had to get the temperature of Hoth. So we went to Wikipedia, and Wikipedia mentioned a role-playing game. So here Oh, fantastic. <laughs> so they totally did a call out for the old Star Wars WEG role-playing game. In like modern media, mass media, here there's millions of dollars, Mythbusters, there's camera crews, there's, you know, technology happening, science happening, and, and there's Jamie, not Jamie, who's the other one? Um, Adam. Adam is like, we had to reference the role-playing game. <laughs> and that brought me really great joy deep down in my soul. Every time stuff like that makes it into the real world. And then it got me thinking about world building and Tolkien world building and George Lucas world building and how those are very different. And I think we should talk about world building and go deep on it on another show. Okay, but what did they use for a tauntaun? For a tauntaun? Ballistic gel. For a tauntaun, (laughs) yes, ballistic gel. They used a, they cut out foam, a giant piece of foam the size of a tauntaun. And they covered it with like Muppet fur or whatever. Nice. And then they opened it. They, they lined it with like a plastic, like a tarp. And then they had all this viscera and guts that they had made that they had heated up to like 98 degrees or whatever. Uh, yeah. And then they put in a ver- They put in a dummy that they could control. They could detect whether or not he was dying or what his body temperature was. Uh. And it, it was really quite it was a ton of work and and everything they did on the star wars uh one uh show uh turned out to be plausible spoiler alert sorry uh-huh. i shouldn't have spoiled it but it was great Mythbusters you'll, prob- is you'll probably be missing a couple fingers and toes but you could survive in a tauntaun right, right. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah 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 no they and they also started always have looking, a tauntaun in the garage folks you, you never know you know it's, they'd never answered the question of what did han do he built the shelter. He built a snow oh, cave, okay, okay, or okay. put together a, a Star Wars tent. There, that is. A, That's right, because he Luke didn't have his jacket anymore, right? Like, and he needed to stay in the Tauntaun until Han could get the shelter. He was out. he was out there. He was just hypothermic. He'd been out too yep. long. Yeah. So, anyway, uh, so that was cool to uh, watching TV and hearing about my favorite game in the world brought me great joy. Uh, speaking of my favorite game in the world, I got the last. 
of the 38 books FFG has published for the Star wow. Wars role-playing game. I have all 38 hardbound books and the three. Bravo, sir. Screen. Yes. Bravo. So when people say, do you have all the books? You say, yeah, except such and such. But now I have them all. And I also, in my FFG order, got The Worlds of Android, which is a very thick hardbound yeah, book that's that just... Cool. Just about Android lore, just the lore and the people in the universe. The the game Shadows of the Beanstalk really focuses on New Angeles and that part of the lore, mm-hmm. and this is the that plus the rest of the universe. So it's really smart. There's a game dedicated. There's a book dedicated to the game plus lore, and then there's if you really want to go, there's another equally large book just on lore. If you really wanted to to spend more time in that universe. So that was pretty pretty fantastic, and I have barely cracked the Android book, but it's beautiful. It's gorgeous. It's a gorgeous book. And I ditched my gamer race car chair. You know those race car chairs everybody yep. has. It was just mm-hmm. too gosh darn uncomfortable. My wife sold it on Facebook for eighty dollars in about an hour, and I got a big old fat three hundred dollar Lazy Boy work chair with memory foam and leather. So big boy chair, and now I can stay down here for hours. I'm about ready to get rid of mine, actually, my RSP uh, 110. It's just, um, you know, I've sat in it for about six to eight months now. It's just yeah. not, it's just not measuring up, man. Oh man, I went down yeah. to Staples. They had a sale. I sat in like dozens of chairs, and I, for some reason, I kept gravitating to the second most expensive <laughs> one there. I don't know why. Hmm. And it's a work tool, baby. So that's my geek week. So yeah, the race car know, chairs are great. They just look good for being yeah. online all the time. They are not comfortable. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I, no, I'm just agreeing with you, man. You know, I and, and maybe it's because I have not dropped the six. I've not dropped the money on like a $600 gamer chair. Right. Like I've only my mine was like 150 bucks. Right. And right. Uh, the problem is, is that you sit in these chairs and think, oh, man, they're so they're going to be so nice and so awesome. They're just not as comfortable as a just nice, good quality office chair. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, you it's get one that's rated is. rated for five to ten hours of sitting, you'll be fine. Yeah. So yeah. Anyway. So uh, anyway, uh, considering we're all home for freaking COVID, um, hey, you only have one back. You might as well spend a little bit of money on it because that thing, I just could not sit. I I always had to. It was probably better for my health. It, it made me get up and walk around a lot more. I'll, I'll, I won't lie, but I, I tell you this: I have a standing desk at home, and I love it, man. I'm probably standing for eighty percent of my day. Yeah. And it has done wonders for my back to stand throughout the day. Really? It's kind of sitting. Good. Oh, yeah. It's definitely helped my posture. It's healthy stuff. All right. That's my Geek Week. Sorry to take so long. No, it's good stuff, man. Good stuff. Jason, how about you? How was your Geek Week? I had a lot of fun um, uh, over the last last little bit. So I have been on this kick kind of of like uh, downloading uh, – games on the game pass and and stuff and and i saw um uh alice madness returns and i thought oh i never played the second version of that game but i loved the first version which was american mcgee's alice mm-hmm. which was like a 2000 circa 2000 game um so we're talking like the year 2000 so it's you know 20 21 years old now um and uh so i downloaded that madness returns which is an xbox 360 game and lo and behold in the start menu there is a version of American McGee's Alice baked in. And so Ooh. I'm like, oh, I'm going to boot this nice. up just to look at the title screen and listen to that music and go back on memory lane. Well, you know, not a non-consecutive 11 hours later, 
uh, I beat American McGee's Alice again, <laughs> the original. So I spend my Geek Week playing like a 20-some-year-old game back through. But it nice. is it is a fun uh, if and I love um, Alice in Wonderland. It's like that was like one of my one of my favorite Disney movies growing up. Um, Interesting. Because I love the kookiness of it. It's just so like kind of you know yeah. out there like you know uh, surreal kind of a thing. And this is a dark evil version of it. You mm-hmm. know the setting where Alice's it's like the 1800s or the 1900s and Alice or 1800s and Alice's parents died and she wakes up and there's a fire in the house and she gets out but her parents don't. She goes mad of course and goes to an insane asylum. Um, and then one day somebody brings her finds out of a storage box or something her old stuffed rabbit and brings it to her and it triggers her to dive into her mem- into her mind and it's just like this horrid nightmare wonderland because she's been you know in an insane asylum for x years so the game's a horror game but based on Alice in Wonderland she so run around with like a kitchen knife killing things i love it <laughs> right nice yeah so you get to fight you know all of the um all of the the key characters from Alice in Wonderland they're all bad now not all of them but most of them you get to have nice boss battles with them and then eventually dive down in and have a battle with yourself right because Wonderland basically is a reflection of Alice's mind uh so anyways a lot of fun going back on memory lane 20 year old game the engine's a little kooky uh now that we've you know had quite a bit of new new engine development game engine development but uh that's okay and so i i finally just like two nights ago started playing the actual game i downloaded <laughs> and <it> returns <laughs> so we'll get going with that and that game's been pretty fun so far so we'll we'll see how that goes but uh yeah that's uh that's probably it another thing is i'm working on a book the prefect by alistar reynolds this is a 2007 okay okay book this is an interesting um you know, a lot of these sci-fi books, they all use kind of the same, a lot of the same tropes and things. Um, and I like Alistair Reynolds because he likes to take kind of some of those similar things, but he puts a tiny little twist on it. Or maybe he combines multiple things together. And this one, it's a futuristic society that lives in kind of um, habitats that circle a planet. And these habitats, um, they, you know, they can be home to like nine to... Like a few th- a thousand to a few thousand people in each habitat. Well, there's a band of them that make up what they call the glitter band, and it's kind of a utopian society that lives in these habitats that circle this planet. And um, but because it's a utopian society, because everyone has kind of joined like a simulation type thing. Um, so there's a crime where one of the habitats just explodes and kills like 900 people. Like the entire habitat's done. And you follow this detective in the glitter band, um, but because everybody was part of this like simulation, he does his detective work by loading up the last uh, instance of someone's upload of their copy. And he he um, so he's doing his like you know uh, inquiries and asking questions and and kind of digging around by talking to the people that are dead. And it's an interesting turn because. First thing he has to do when he loads them up and says, hey, uh, sorry to tell you, but um, you're actually dead. And so there's an interesting dynamic that kind of goes through there. So it's an interesting story so far. I'm only about maybe a third of the way in. But uh, I like it when people kind of take these, you know, sci-fi settings and kind of mix mix the different things together in it. So we'll see how it goes. Awesome. That's it for me. Over to you. Uh, yeah, so... You know how much I love rabbit holes. 
So I uh, I got lost in the rabbit hole of blockchains mm-hmm. this last week. Um, I decided that I wanted to kind of expand my knowledge base on like what this blockchain technology is. I feel like uh, it's something that is going to impact us uh, very strongly in the future. And uh, it'd just be nice to know kind of how it works and what it does. And so I've just been getting smart on like what blockchain technology is. So, you know, I mean, a lot of people think of Bitcoin or maybe even Ethereum. Um, and they're just like, oh, it's a cryptocurrency. And I mean, but it could, it represents a lot more too, right? A cryptocurrency is almost just a uh, a digital currency of what that represents uh, right. what that thing represents right so it could be uh an algorithm it could be a program it could be uh it could be an actual currency you know but it also could be a service or something like that uh um that that exists out in this blockchain pu- public record so um i'm not going to bore everybody to death with the details that i've been learning about but you know the the smarter that i've been getting on it the more interested i've been in what this technology I think can represent for our society as a whole, um, one of the one of the main tenets of uh, did you guys ever see the, the the show on HBO called um, Silicon Valley? Did you ever see that? Uh, knew of it and didn't watch it though. But yeah, go ahead. Yeah, it was funny. I mean, it's a very satirical take on the Silicon Valley development culture, you know, and like what being a startup in Silicon Valley looks like and going to up against the big boys that in the show uh it wasn't named google it was named hooli you know Mm -hmm. and and you know just kind of like uh all all that 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 represented and um it was a hilarious show it was very funny very um uh very smart in in a sense but one of the main premises was that uh, the developer had this idea for Web 2.0, essentially, is what he was calling it. And it was a decentralized internet, one that didn't rely on right. servers and ISPs and things like that, that everybody could just connect because we were all connected. You know, that uh, we all shared, you know, part of the internet. And because we were all connected, it was out there, you know. And that's what this blockchain, this blockchain technology essentially is. You know, and I've seen some things of people talking about like the next wave of like the next big thing of the internet and what that means, and everybody's saying it will it'll, it'll leverage blockchain technology. So um, very interesting. It's kind of you know it's kind of cool to see. Like I know it's been around for years and years and years, um, but you know with the craze of cryptocurrency and get rich quick things that have been like flouted out there, um, it's interesting to really start learning about the technology behind. Uh, some of these coins that are, you know, making people rich, but also like that are changing the way that technology happens as well. So yeah, well, and they're going to have an impact. We're going to see crypto uh, tokens and currencies inside of um, uh, video games for sure. Yeah. I mean, you know, Crypto Kitties was a was a huge blockchain game. Yep. Built yep. on the concept of non. And now, how do you do? You say non- fungible or fungible? Fun- fungible. Yeah, non-fungible. Notice how I asked you first? Yes. Yeah, okay. I appreciate that. Yeah, non-fungible, <laughs> you know, non-fungible, in other words, 100% unique. Yes. Um, you know, thing there. And non-fungible tokens are also one that we're going to see and you know, I read an article on this recently that are going to be pretty big because, you know, you think like you play any of these MMOs like WoW or whatever mm-hmm. and 
you're always grinding for that, um, you know, that legendary item or something. So you say, I have the, you know, the, the axe of, you know, Thurgod or something. Yeah. But uh, as long as everyone runs through the raid, you know, there's always a chance that anyone can get that axe. And you can have multiple copies of that axe, right? Right. Well, WoW had this concept, and it was it was unique on a per-server instance. There were actually, and I don't remember, I'm going to mix it up, so please don't hate, but there were epic items. I think they were called epic. They might have been called um, something else, but uh, there were items that were 100% unique on that server, and there was only one of the sword that would oh, anyone wow. could ever have, right? Uh, and they were, ex- you know, it was extremely, well, it was extremely rare because there was only one, but it was yeah. extremely rare to ever see anybody with one. Yeah. But the concept of non-fungible tokens and that, you know, if you buy a hat like on Roblox or, or Roblox, Blux, whatever, Roblox or something, <laughs> you buy a hat and you say, I want that hat and anyone yeah. can buy that hat. Well, you can buy a hat and you can say, I have this hat, it's custom, it's tailored, and it's actually the only hat that in existence. Yep. And now you can trade that and now it has value and it has, it has value, value to some people just because it is unique. Mm-hmm. But another, and I'll take this one step further, and then I'll turn the mic back over. But uh, something that was very interesting about the articles, they talked about how if we come down to kind of a common method for um, utilizing these blockchains across games, then you could take one non-fungible token from one game, and because it's attached to you and your account, you could take that into another game, and it brings unique items into that game for you just because you have that token. Right, right. Uh, so there's a lot of interesting things that could happen in the gaming industry with uh, with this technology too. Uh, one of the big things that I read uh, was that uh, there's the idea that those NFT tokens, non fungible tokens, yeah. were um, the NFTs are being used for digital art, right? Um, so what happened was apparently there's this thing called hash art, where you pay a certain amount of money to get one of these tokens. And then basically, it's like a it's like a, a scratcher lottery ticket. <laughs> nice. You know, so like you don't know what you get. You pay your money, and there's like famous artists that have done these digital pieces. And once you get your token, you kind of scratch it, and it opens it up and reveals what art you got. And it could be worth, you know, it, it's it, generally it's considered worth about what you paid for it but it could be worth significantly more depending on the artist and the uniqueness of the piece and things like that you know so um this guy he i think he paid like two grand for this this nft digital token and he got this really famous artist that did this pretty cool Uh, piece of art that's digital and he ended up selling the token which basically said like if you hold this token you own that art yeah you own the art yeah right you own that art he ended up selling it for like um like $180,000 or something like that yeah so he flipped you know a $2,000 token to like $180,000 or something like that so it was pretty crazy um but uh but you know excuse me it's a concept of you know, these blockchains, which is kind of public record now, is going to become a network that we are all going to be part of, you know. And uh, for me, like it was, I said, it's time to get start getting smart on what this is and what this represents, because I think we're going to see it more and more and more and more. There's dangers, too. I mean, think, all right, think about this piece of art that is basically attached to the ownership by this token, right? Yeah. If someone finds a way to hack into your system, 
right? Or get that yep. token in some way. They can hold that token for ransom for like ultimate destruction ransom. It's like, I'm going to attach that token to my wallet. Yeah. And if you don't pay me my ransom, I'm just going to delete the wallet and it's gone forever. Gone no one forever. will ever be able to get this back. Yeah. You know, so I mean, there's also how many theory, people are going to, how many theory, people are just going to, yeah, you go could ahead. steal somebody's piece of art and burn it. I mean, yeah, absolutely. You know, so I, it, it's, it, you, we think that because something's out on the internet, it's there forever. Well, you just gave a case scenario of where it could not be because of the way that value is associated yeah. with it. You know, anyone who doesn't back up their, uh, you know, their ownership, uh, chains whether it's your, a wallet or however you want to do it yeah and and then you know the hard drive crashes it's like well that's that is all gone forever yeah yeah look at the uh the next oceans uh what is it gonna be oceans 15 is gonna be stealing <laughs> you know somebody's stealing cryptocurrencies. Crypto. well think yeah. about it what if you <laughs> had some if you could inject crypto into privacy and get control of real privacy on the internet flip it around just say, you know, in order for me to access these files, I have to have this crypto token. If I take this trip crypto token and destroy it forever, I have been able to secure my privacy. Yeah. So there could be another way of looking at that. Sure. One of the, the problems now is that every every one and zero can be copied. And if if you're copying something and you know that the encryption key is 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 destroyed it's just it's just gobbledygook until you get quantum computing to break the break the encryption womp womp yeah yeah and let's not even get into what quantum could do to blockchain and distributed uh, distributed ledgers let's not Mm, even go down that road because that's a whole because that would be too cool it would be crazy (laughs) no like for instance let, let's Here we go. Say, we're going. We're going. Let's say. Let's just. Uh, I'm just going to leave this nugget with you. <laughs> <laughs> right now, uh, Bitcoin is valued on its scarcity. When it was first yep. created, it wasn't scarce. You could create. You could take a Pentium three and set it in the corner, and it could mine Bitcoin. Right. I remember those days. Yeah. And I decided not to do it. <clears throat> Dumb move. Right. But you know, nobody has a crystal ball. Nobody has a time machine. Anyway. So, if you have access to a real quantum computer. And you could start brute brute forcing all this compute. Guess what? Scarcity goes away. Because if a quantum quantum computer can start kicking out Bitcoin a lot faster, every time you find a Bitcoin, every other Bitcoin becomes less valuable. I'm just going to leave it there. No mic drop. Yes, yes and no. There's a finite amount of Bitcoin, though. There's an asymptotic line. Well, that's fair. Yeah, yeah. This is true. This is true. But... we would be able to find its true value if there was yeah. a fixed number, a fixed quantity in the universe. Now, <sighs> the interesting, oh, yes, true. But the interesting thing is that uh, Ethereum, um, so both of those coins are, are mined based on a proof of work concept. So you mine the Bitcoin, you find the code that you're looking for, and ta-da, here's the, here's the proof of work. I found it, I found the Bitcoin, I found like, I did yeah. the computation as needed, I get the reward, right? Uh, Ethereum is moving to what's called a proof of staking concept, which means Ooh. that you stake your uh, identifier in there, and then the blockchain is built around that, and then you have a code to basically go in, and you know, uh, and that's get your clues block. instead of ha- it's your block instead of having to mine it. Mm-hmm. So it's a reverse way of creating the blockchain, and that is infinite. But 
the tokens are still um, scarce because you're using tokens to put into the blockchains. Got it. You know, uh, so it's a very interesting concept that um, they're moving to that I think is much more sustainable than the Bitcoin model, which was a smart concept back in 2009. Yeah. You know, yeah, so yeah, yeah. anyway, we have beat this horse to death. Oh, my gosh. And- we're 27 <laughs> minutes in and we 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 chewed. Now, we there's got to be real nerds listening to our podcast who are like, these idiots don't know what they're talking about. I'm just waiting for someone to rage against me. Uh, yeah. I, we were waiting. talking before the show <laughs> guys, how guys you do not understand blockchain. You don't understand blockchain. <laughs> I, where can I send my email? No, 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 no. We don't want to lose a Tabletop single listener. Podcast at gmail dot com. What we want everyone to know is, is we're feeling very lonely because no one has ever trolled us yet. So yeah, we we need more listeners. It. So we need more mathemat- topics that are trollable. We need the mathematical possibility, which we could calculate with a quantum computer. To figure right. out <laughs> how many trolls discussion we can get. will be on quantum entanglement. <laughs> quantum entanglement. We're trying to get our trolls. We need numbers so tr- trolls are an and indicator it's just in of the penetration. Game there you go. I'll stop now. I'll shut up. <laughs> uh, yeah. So listen, I I, I did some other peedly dinky things, but uh, to be honest with you, like my my whole focus was consumed on understanding blockchain blockchain technology and cryptocurrency and like what does that you know what does that portend so yeah it was good though it was very interesting very interesting so let's get to the news tabletop and beyond news 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 news. (laughs) well done all right my new one in a separate but in separate but identical announcements, Tracy Hickman and Margaret Weiss announced a multi-year licensee agreement with Wizards of the Coast to produce three new Dragonlance novels. Oh, ding, interesting! Ding, ding. So we've come full circle. Yeah, we've gone from lawsuit to contract. <laughs> well, no, first we've we went been from best contract. Friends. We came from we went from contract to lot to no contract to lawsuit to contract yeah, again. Yeah, baby. <laughs> Yeah, All right. so that's good news. All right, yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna do um, my the next piece of news in the most offensive German accent I can oh, I can no. muster. Here we go. Oh, there comes the trolling right now. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I'm okay being trolled by Germans. <laughs> you can it's end. the Germans. <laughs> it's like all we have to do is say World War One, World War Two. Oh gosh. Essenspiel organizer Friedheim Mertz Verlag announced that the massive European tabletop gaming convention will happen in person this year. The convention Essen in Germany will take place October 14 to 17, 2021, citing the prospect of widespread vaccination programs, (laughs) making it safe to have an in-person convention by that date. In case that the event cannot be held safely, Verlog stated, we will act responsibly as early as possible as we did last year. The last in-person convention... Oh, I messed it up there. The last in-person convention in 2019 had a turnstile attendance, meaning attendees are counted per day, attended and not per pass sold, of 209,000 with over 1,200 exhibitors. Tickets for the event will go on sale in August, gentlemen. Would you like to go to Deutschland on October 14th? Listen, dude, that crushes Gen Con's numbers. 
Yeah, well, there's different ways they count it. There's a lot of double, triple counting in there. Oh, sure, yeah, because it's turnstile, right? So it's uh, yeah. they count it each day. So if you count that over, I guess that's maybe like probably fifty thousand. If it's yeah. a four day, if it's a four day convention, about the it's size like 50, of Gen Con. Yeah. I, I've yeah. heard I've heard people that that go to both and they say Gen Con's a little bigger. Um, but no, this is the biggest deal in in Europe for gaming. So well, boot up the lingo and start German. There we go. <laughs> Jawohl. Jawohl. Was magst du? <laughs> All right. Very um, good. So that's that's good news. I did take the Gen Con survey. I don't know if you guys got the Gen Con survey. I about. did. I took it too. Yeah. And I was like, I well, did not take it. I basically Why? said. Because I didn't get it. Because I wasn't didn't I didn't, well, not a ticket holder from last year. Yep. Oh, that right. must have been it. You have to pay yeah. to play. I basically said in my my, they asked the same question twenty seven times. Essentially, yeah. yeah. If if pe- if people are are truly, are, are people truly vaccinated? If vaccination is more of a thing, that's important. And they're like, would you come if there was like nothing to do? And I'm like, no. <laughs> no I love that. Right? I love that question. That was great. That's great. <laughs> like, I'm not How that lame. How did they say it? I can't remember. I, I can't I either, but I remember it. thinking the exact same thing. It was like, would you come if there were no games? Wait, what? <laughs> um, n- no. Is this a trick question? <laughs> I know. That's Gen great. Con, are you feeling okay? Will yeah. you just give us money for nothing like you did last <laughs> right. year? <laughs> right. Can we just keep your ticket price? Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Next news item. ICO Partners posted Kickstarter statistics from last year on Medium showing growth over the previous year there as well. Overall, Kickstarter grew from uh, 615 million funded in 2019 to 730 million dollars funded in 2020, an wow. increase of 115 million dollars and the largest year-on-year bump since 2014 for the platform. <gasps> An entire section of the report focused on tabletop games, which grew from 176 million in 2019 yeah. to 236 million dollars in 2020, a 33% increase. Oh my gosh. Yeah, big. That's a big change. Listen, two hundred thirty-six million out of seven hundred thirty million. Like tabletop gaming represents over a third of, of their sales of Kickstarter. Yeah, people talk about Kickstarter and tabletop gaming is paying all of their electricity bills. Listen, we but we addressed this way back in like episode five or whatever it was. Yeah. We said that the de facto publishing. Now for tabletop gaming is Kickstarter. Even yeah. the big, even the big boys are doing it through Kickstarter now because it represents minimal risk to their publishing. Yeah, it's a, you know it's a no get it proposition pre-paid. except for yeah, they, except for the cut that Kickstarter gets and you just jack up the price, which we've also seen. You yep. you notice the price on games have not gone down. By oh any no, they're all like you know I mean those big ones used to be a hundred dollars are now one hundred fifty, you know, so. Yeah. Um, yeah. And people are I paying mean, it, and guess what? We're stuck inside. Of course, we're going to pay it. Yeah, we've got. Listen, they've got that Kickstarter and that gaming shows how underserved the tabletop gaming com- uh, community was. Yeah. Because yeah. the market is just booming. Yeah. Booming. Well, it, creativity was limited by your ability to come out of pocket to do a print yep. run. And now, yep. now that that barrier's been broken, creativity it can be based on you selling your idea. So it's really your advertising is the your thing marketing. that sells. Yep. Your marketing and advertising sells the game, and then you produce it after you've advertised it, which is crazy. Yeah, 
which is nuts. <laughs> yeah. You probably have a good idea of what it is, right? And right. you come up with a flashy video, some great artwork, um, you know, so like a cool concept, and away you go, man. Yeah. Away you go. But, but you're not sitting on, you know, a crate from China before you start doing right. your marketing. Exactly. Totally backwards. Anyway, it's good stuff. So hey, hey, Tabletop, I know we report out a lot on RPG stuff just because there's kind of a slow burn on news. There's always a little bit of RPG news. But as far as tabletop gaming goes, holy crap, that's amazing. That's big, yeah. On my last piece of news, Wizards of the Coast released a new Unearthed Arcana playtest packet for Gothic lineages. I saw this. Three new undead-inspired races. The first race is the new version of the Dampir with an H. D-H-A-M-P-I-R. Dampire. If you don't know what a Dampire is, that is a half, that is a spawn of half human, half vampire. So there's a new version of the Dampir. So like Blade. I, yeah, like I, yeah, I, say, I feel walkers. like there's probably another word for that that's been used over the years. Yeah, this is... This there totally is. is. This is the D&D version, though, right? Yeah, right. right. What was Blake called? Now I have to look it up. Because no. he was half vampire, half... Wasn't he the... Nephilim. Oh, no. He was a daywalker. 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 Yeah, yeah. daywalker. Dang, so, that, that sure... movie was awesome. Yeah, that one holds up. Too. The first one holds up. They did three. Yeah. You know a movie's good if they do two sequels, usually. All right. So anyway, there are eight hungers, such as blood, flesh, dreams, or life energy, and eight origins, survived a vampire attack, incomplete transformation into a vampire, packed with a being that shares their hunger with you and others. There's also the hex blood is similar to the vampire, but for hags slash witches, they don't call them witches for some reason, rather than vampires, with illusionary magic abilities and the ability to create magic tokens. And then there's the reborn. They're undead or uh, constructs that have returned from the dead that have lost their memories of their past life. Additionally, a sidebar was added to the PDF on the changes to race based on Tasha's Cauldron of Everything. From this point forward, D&D races will no longer have ability score increases, languages or alignments or any other trait that is purely cultural. Racial traits will only include the physical or magical realities of being a player character who's a member of a particular lineage, such as dark vision, breath weapons, or innate magical abilities. The term race will also be restricted solely to the suite of game features used by player characters. So this is all part of the metamorphosizing. I think this is like... I think with Tasha's cart cauldron, we're kind of in D and D five point five E. I know yeah. that's not officially yeah. it, but that's really kind of where we're. I think that true. is where it kicked it off. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Well, one of the guys from our Discord channel mentioned uh, a good point. He says maybe we will see the movement away from these version releases, and we'll just get you know uh, periodic updates to yeah. the mechanical system. An agile Which, development know, process. An agile development. Yeah. You know, there's there, there's good stuff to that, but there's also there's also good to take an opportunity to just clean the slate and move on when you got so much material. Yeah. If you want to do a change, like from fourth to fifth, right? Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, we're seeing that in Age of Sigma right now, right? Like, there's a lot of bloat that ends up happening. Oh yeah, you get to you the point. Know? You're like, we just need to kind of clean this. We just need to clean the slate here, guys. Yeah. You know, so. Um, yeah, it's kind of interesting. Um, I will, Dan. Thank you for the news. You bet. Um, I've got one quick product placement. It is in the bundle of holding for this week. You've got 14 days left to get it. It is the Dragon Age bundle of holding. 
Uh, it is developed by Chris Pramus. Uh, Pramus, I think is. He says his name rhymes with famous, so Pramus. Um, <laughs> of course he does. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so for $10, you get what is called the Fantasy Age Core Book. Um, it is similar to, or the, the RPG Age system is similar to uh, like Genesis, which is a, an RPG neutral set of rules, and you can put different skins on it. So they've got like Fantasy Age, Modern Age, um, and you know it's just kind of like either a fantasy setting or sci-fi setting. So for ten dollars, you can get the Fantasy Age book, uh, the Bestiary, uh, three Fantasy Age encounters, and the Game Master's kit. But then if you upgrade to, I think if you pay twenty dollars or something like that, you get the Dragon Age core rule book that now puts the Dragon Age skin on this um, Fantasy Age, you know, RPG. As well as some um, adventures and uh, game masters kit and some other core books too. So, I played uh, Dragon Age at a Catacon last time we went, and I had a great time with it. Uh, but I will say that it helped that I had played all the video games in the series, the Dragon Age video games in the series. So I kind of knew some of the backstories, the politics, like you know some of that stuff. So it was really good though. Um, a lot of good time. So I highly recommend it. Uh, if you're looking for a new RPG, pick it up. The RPG was easy to run, and, and we had a good time with it. So check it out. That sounds great. Yeah. Yeah, I'm kind of tempted to buy it, but I've got like three other RPGs that we're going to need to play before I get into it. So I, I still may end up picking it up. So... Yeah. Cool. Anyway, all right. Well, let's get to our main topic tonight, which is uh, hierarchies and ranks in RPGs—the good, the bad, and the ugly. Mm-hmm. So, we came up with this topic um, a little bit from Dan's uh, horrible stories of being uh, caught in his Star Trek RPG game <laughs> that he talked about on the podcast. <laughs> what episode little... number was that? Yeah. Uh, 38, 36. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it was also inspired a little bit from our rogue trader, um, Mm -hmm. campaign because we had a ship with captains and, you know, there was, there was someone who had to be the rogue trader, which was kind of the head of the house, you know? So, um, there was also a Star Trek RPG we played years ago. Yeah. That was before Justin was in our group. Can we even remember such times? (laughs) <laughs> I don't know. I don't think you can. It's but sh- a bit blurry. You, I, but really, does it matter if you remember it? <laughs> there was pre-Justin <laughs> and post-Justin. Yeah. Then there was In the all- Catalyst event. A.L. Stumino, the year of our Justin. Exactly. So, uh, yeah, I mean, and listen, even if you're playing in a Star Wars uh, Age of Empire game, it's a more military hierarchy usually that you are playing in and there's a natural fit for a leader and a squad type of thing. So yeah. Age I mean, of rebellion. A, yeah. Yeah. Age of rebellion. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Sorry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No problem. Um, there's a, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of potential in RPGs for a hierarchy system that gets your players kind of playing as a team in a sense. So let's talk about what the good is first. The good. Yeah, it's just the, the genre options really are great. I mean, you can do now. We talked about starships, obviously. You know, yep. Star Trek is its own genre, right? 
You can do soldiers, you can do warfare, you can do historical warfare, you can do special ops, you can do fighter jocks. Yep. I mean, there are layers and layers. I mean, we're just, you know, scratching the surface on how many genres usually have a hierarchy attached to them. Um, because in real life, there's hierarchies at your job. Everywhere. You know, your boss, yeah. you have a second level boss and a third level boss. They're everywhere, right? So... Um, it really kind of, uh, so if you, if you have a group that can't handle hierarchies, there's huge swaths of games. You just can't play with your group. Yeah. And you know, if you think about what a lot of RPGs are, I mean, other than like maybe a call, like, so call of Cthulhu is really just like a sleuth mystery one, right? Where you're out there trying to solve a mystery that's happening. Um, very little action, but in a lot of other ones, you're usually asked to like go kill this dragon, go take out these orcs that are bothering us, you know, like go invade this other, you know, go investigate this starship and see if there's any uh, Xenos filth that we need to eradicate. Go you murder know? these goblins. Yeah, yeah, go murder these goblins. And who's accountable? There's always somebody <laughs> you know? in the group that's yeah. accountable. We always talk about, well, who's going to play the face character? Well, guess what? In the story, the face char- character is usually putting their face, their neck on the line by agreeing to go do something. Yeah. Yeah. And so, I, you know, I mean, when you are put into a genre that asks you to work as a collective team and usually with violence associated with it. <laughs> which is almost you know, every RPG, except for that romantic every... one we talked about a few episodes That's ago. true. Exactly. <laughs> well, that could get violent, too. A violence of love. <laughs> um the uh, but you know when when you're saying like okay you're a specialized unit of you know whether you're a traveling band or a special ops team traveling to go do something you know I mean there's kind of a natural hierarchy that starts to form there and that's normal I mean we don't send our green berets without a hierarchy for a yeah. reason you know you know even if you go you dig deep and look like the guns of Navarro. Everybody had their job. You had the special, right. you know, you, but they they all still had a hierarchy, and those are very real. And, you know, those are, uh, some of those, you know, sh- stories and movies are fantastic. Even Old West movies, you still sometimes have a sheriff and a deputy and a judge and a mayor. These things right. are, are part of life. So, um, you know, uh, it, it, there, there's... If you have a group that's willing to take on a hierarchy, anything, you're, you're going to have a little bit more wiggle room as far as what you decide to play. True. It opens the bandwidth. And what I like about it, too, is when you have a hierarchy and a group that's willing to play with it, right, what you can do is you can now have players who have defined roles within the system. You know, like if you're playing Star Trek and you say, I'm the science officer, yeah, you know what I mean. Like that means anything science that comes up, that's that's going to be in my lane, and I and I know that it's my cue to step up and role play that out. You know, um, if uh, if you're playing in a uh, Warhammer 40k Death Watch game, and you are the heavy uh, machine gunner, you know that when all of those like crazy uh, gene stealers are coming at you, hordes of them. You're the dude that's stepping up to mow them down. You know what I mean? While your buddies are maybe like retreating to go do something else, because you have different specialties or different abilities. And I think like the Dirty Dozen or the Guns of Navarro or yeah. something like that is a great example of like 
you now like everybody's got their specialty and that's what makes the team work and because people know their specialties they can role play that a little bit better you know they're, they're not so worried about stepping on other people's toes because it's not kind of like somebody else it's somebody else's job or it's their job you know? right but so, let's uh let me let, let's pull this back and actually turn it into because there's one thing about having like a class right sure. or a responsibility but what about specifically hierarchy that, okay you know is that deal with where there's like an a ranking um of people who are leadership and leadership or decisions um there because i think that's kind of what <clears throat> what we're trying to think about here yep that's right true. if if you have a captain and then you have a uh first officer mm-hmm. like do they have the final say in what the group does when you're role-playing around a table or you know right. or what and yeah. now, now yeah. let's open up the the lid on the bad, right? Yeah, this gets to the, uh, the bad. Exactly. <laughs> the, the bad. So we're doing the good, the bad, and the ugly. So w- one of the things that can happen is the story becomes about the captain, right? And we we'll use Star Trek a lot, and you know, Kirk is the ultimate example. But if you watch on, um, if you have Apple TV Plus, there's Tom Hanks's Greyhound movie where he is the captain in World War II trying, he's one of only a handful of ships protecting this giant convo, convoy of civilian ships trying to, you know, go to England. And he, the whole movie is in his head. He is not telling his crew why he's doing anything that he's doing. He's just barking orders. And when people don't listen to the orders, you know, he basically has to dress them down. But he doesn't explain what he's doing and why. That can be a bad thing, you know, if you get, you know, I know we're not getting into the ugly territory yet, but, and as the GM, it's very easy to write a story that's captain-centric or that's commander-centric, right? You can fall into a lot of traps if you're on the GM side of the equation saying, oh, what are they going to do in this situation? What are they going to do? And a lot of that, and, and guess what? The buck stops here at the captain. Captain usually is responsible for all the decisions that are made in the crew. So when all the players are equal, you all come together as equals to play a role-playing game, and you start yeah. a game, and then and then Jay's the first officer, and Justin's the captain, and what am I? I'm science, or I'm the pilot, or I get to do something cool. Mm-hmm. There's a, We're all equals in the game, but then we're not. Right. And that right. that is kind of can be problematic for groups that have never done it before or would be more comfortable in a more egalitarian genre. Yeah, and uh absolutely. I think I think the first point that I want to that I want to uh pluck on there is that uh you know, writing for the G, for the captain, right? It's a captain story and I think that that's the like you said, the easiest trap to fall into is the GM, right? Because he's the leader of the ship, and what happens to the ship happens to the captain, essentially, right. you know, or or whatever it is, you know, the leader of the team, whatever happens to. I mean, uh, we don't call it, you know, Hogan's heroes because Hogan wasn't the leader. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right, you know? right. It was he was he was the guy, right? So, um, uh, and that's but, one of the tropes of the genre is the captain yeah. is an auto hero. Yeah, exactly. Which so is different. So it's interesting, and one of the ways that um, during Rogue Trader, uh, while we played this, there's a couple things that um, I thought were interesting. One, um, we had some very experienced role players, which I thought was great for our group playing that game. You know what I mean? So nobody really had an ego in there, because 
we're all trying to have a good time. And I think that that's where the experience of our players really sh- kind of shown in playing it. So you had a player like Nick, um, who was the bruiser of the team, right? Like he was the guy right. who was going to murder you in your sleep. Um, and But he always said, I'll do whatever the captain says. You know, yeah. and that's the way he chose to role play it. And um, he, I mean, he chose that that's what he's going to do. I'm loyal to the captain and I'm going to do whatever the captain says. And I'm here to protect the captain. Um, now, uh, I don't think, I think what that did, though, is it kind of put him in a lane. You know what I mean? He couldn't really stray from that lane once he, once he. Um, and that's one of the bad things there. is that sometimes yeah. mentally players don't want to offer up suggestions. Yeah, and I will say, too, that um, I thought, again, the experience of the group, uh, offering up suggestions, and the way that I think I had started you guys helped with that a little bit, because I had started it with, um, uh, you and I, Dan, had talked about this, right? That you had gotten a little overambitious, a little big for your britches, and made some (laughs) some pretty big mistakes as a captain, right? that ended up losing you guys your ship and getting you stranded on a hive planet. So now you're a captain without a ship, which kind of, uh, you know, I wouldn't say emasculates you a little bit, but it it did did a little bit, you know? (laughs) Yeah, a little bit, right? So that kind of brought you down to the, like, to, okay, I'm I'm just one of you guys, even though I'm still sort of the captain. But it created a purpose for the group. It's like the group was still loyal to the captain, the captain without a ship, everybody wanted... Everybody wanted yep. to be back on a ship. So, and that, I think that helped um, with the group being able to say, okay, I feel like I can still voice my opinions. I'm not waiting on the judge to make a decision, in a sense. Yeah. You know? So, uh, but I think that that is definitely one of the one of the downsides, the, 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 the bad part, which is that, you know, your players will um not offer up their opinions because oh it's the captain's decision and we see that in hierarchies in our normal life I yeah. mean, how many times yeah. do you see that at work where someone's like i don't i don't care if it's like saying anything in this meeting they're gonna make their decision anyway yeah yeah you know? the boss wants what the boss wants yeah 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 that's true so there's some bad parts and now let's talk about the ugly components let's go deep into the bad the bad number yeah. one is first of all you can have truly horrible captains whether the player, the whether you're, you know, the the character is horrible, or the player is making bad decisions. If you know, if you some some campaign, some some games have a lot of analysis paralysis, where people are used to sitting around and debating what to do next, and then if the captain says, "Well, I've made a decision. This is what we're going to do," before a consensus is reached, some some players are like, "Well, that sucked. I guess I, my opinion doesn't mean anything." Like we just talked about. Yeah. At the same time, you can have the player's ego get tied up with being in the in the <laughs> yeah. captain's seat. And in some cases, you'll be playing a game as a game master. You'll make the guy that you know shouldn't be the captain. You'll make him the captain because he believes he should be. And it's less work <laughs> to make him the captain. And that has its own problems too, right? So, in the, and then, um, so if the cat if the player is not good at keeping the group morale going usually as the gm you're kind of keeping morale going but now you've delegated some of that away to the top of the hierarchy in the group so that's something you got to really pay attention to as the gm yeah um i totally agree i you know and what's funny is you start 
you, players will surprise you, right? Yeah. Like, you say, hey, this guy, he's going to make a great captain. He's going to make a great captain. But in the stress of the situation, all of a sudden he starts pulling rank. Yeah. You're like, oh, no, what oh. did I do? <laughs> he is a monster. You know? He's a monster with power, you know what I mean? And and uh, and all of a sudden people are getting frustrated, you know? And you're like, oh, this is not this is not working out at all. And at that point, how do you come back with it other yeah. than killing off the captain? Right. I mean, honestly, like that's the <laughs> I, I think I got killed off in your campaign. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> uh, you right. No, you stayed on that. You stayed on the planet because yeah. you left to go do your Star Wars uh, right. campaign. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. You stayed on that I'm planet joking. that you helped save. You See, know, they needed they you needed me it. and they loved me and I I, right. I murdered the general in the alley. So that's anyway, right, you did. Uh, <laughs> so uh, getting, getting back to horrible captains, like the only reason why I was able to kind of I I started off being horrible a little bit on purpose. We'll talk about that a little bit in the next section, but. Um, I think the first time we did space combat, I had a sense for how it might work. And I uh-huh. had some lucky guesses. And I never d- had done that combat system before, but I had made some really decent, strong calls as the captain. And we we jacked up the bad guys. This is when you first yeah. had the map going. And I'm like, I think, yep. I think I know what to do here, guys. Because I had played a lot of X-Wing. <laughs> I was using... And you know what? The space combat played a lot like X-Wing, didn't it? It did. And it just it just worked out super, super well. And that helped me as a player go, okay, well, I can command the ship and we can take out the bad guys and, and, and live to fight another day. And plus the players had a degree of confidence in what I was doing. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, some days... you. You know, you you roll horribly. Some days you make bad calls and stuff like that. And every and the players still have to kind of. And I knew people were grumbling during that game. I knew they were. They they were not afraid to grumble in front of me. Um, uh, I remember there was that encounter that we had on the Hive Planet in their first session, and you guys had met up with like the rival team that was trying to, like, get off the planet, remember? Yeah. And you said, like, I just pull out my blaster and I shoot him. And everybody's like, what? <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> and, like, I mean, that happens in normal RPGs, too, but here's the captain doing it. Yeah. You know? And yeah. so it was questionable. And I and I think that everybody was like, oh, my gosh, what's happening? Oh, great, we have a captain that's psycho. <laughs> you know? So... <laughs> you know, uh, yeah. So, some days, if you watched Battlestar Galactica, some days you're Admiral Kane, right? Some days, yeah, <laughs> some, right. And that's the thing. And that that was, I'll be honest. I was trying to sell a house during COVID, and it was super stressful, and it was impacting. Yeah. I know I had one session where I just couldn't keep my couldn't keep my cool because my nerves were just raw from yeah, yeah. stress and I was a horrible player that day. So you'll, we will have horrible players and sometimes the horrible players aren't the captain. Sometimes the horrible players are the one guy who thinks he should be captain, but he isn't. Sometimes the horrible players are uh, people who don't know how to follow instruction or, or, re, or sorry, directives, or they resent being given orders too. They may think, oh, I love Star Trek, but I don't love people giving orders to me. Those are two very different things. So I'm going to ask Jason this. Jason, uh, Dan ended up um, pulling out of the game. Uh, He needed to finish his game table, move into his house, and get his Star uh, Star Wars game going on. And we had our buddy Mike come in. And the way that I brought Mike in is that she was the niece of the Rogue Trader house. Right. Um, And she was kind of a stowaway on the ship. And so basically when the captain left, like she was like, "Okay, I'm here. I'm taking over now. And she was like a younger girl, too. 
Um, as a player, what did you think of that, Jason? Well, this gets to where this gets to where it really depends, in my opinion, it really depends on what the system mechanics and the GM enable a captain to be able to do. Because you sure. can have a bad captain and the players will just be like, No, I'm not pushing that button. Right. You know, you told me to, I'm not pushing you told me to push that, I'm not pushing that because that's a stupid idea. Yeah. Um and what was interesting because when Mike's character came on, we kind of all treated her like, Oh, uh, okay, yeah, yeah, quote, you're running the ship now. Yeah, right. Quote. <laughs> <laughs> you know? And so it you know, the, from the beginning it was kind of an established dynamic between the characters. Yep. And the players I think were all okay with this. That uh you know, there was a yeah, you can kinda of tell us what to do, but we'll all kind of decide if that's what we want to do. And if I remember correctly, too, I talked about this with Mike before he came on, right? Because um, he was excited to get on, and I said, hey, I'm going to bring you in as the captain. Um, but realize that you are a young girl coming into this established team. Yeah. You know what I mean? And he said, oh, I totally get this now. You know what I mean? Like, he knew yeah. that there was going to be this dynamic of basically like a young junior lieutenant coming into a unit that has like a very seasoned sergeant. Right. And and NCOs. You know what I mean? Like yeah. and they're like, yeah. Okay, sure thing, Betty. Like, we'll follow your orders and we're gonna salute you, but you're not the one that's running the show. Right. And I think <laughs> where know? yeah, right. And where it gets tricky is if you have a system that actually enables the captain the player that's playing a captain to be a jerk. Like let's say that um one of the the captain one of the players disagree on something. Um, rather than work it out, the captain says, well, I'm going to get on the radio and call the 200 NPC soldiers that are in the room next door to come over and take you to the brig. Yeah, right. Like that's when you're the mechanics and the GM are starting to set up a situation that the rank presents a problem because it's like, how do, what do you do in that situation? Yeah. Yeah. You know, and then then that's the part, that's the kind of party conflict that is toxic. Right. You know what I mean? Because there's, there's party conflict that is amazing. You know, um, uh, that that is great uh, where you have like disagreements between people that are happening. But when all of a sudden one player can use their rank or their power, quote unquote power in game to now affect another player's choices or abilities like that's bad. Yeah. Or take away another player's yeah, ability exactly. to play exactly. the game. Yeah. Yep. Right. <clears throat> so and, and fun... then, then you're not yeah, having that. You're not. Uh, the rule of cool has been broken. And right. you as the GM, in order to get the group together, have to maintain the rule of cool. And then suddenly you, their players have to do that. The stakes are higher for the players to keep it cool, too, than they would be if they're in, in a more level playing field. Yeah. Yeah, and it's also, you know, it's at that point where you kind of have to, you have to be a good official at the table. And, you know, if you see something like that happening in a system that has hierarchy, you, you just, hey guys, let's pause the game real quick and just, just talk. Just a reminder, we're all equal players at the table. Right. So we're not going to do any, we're not going to try to do anything that kind of yeah. removes the ability of anyone to play the game. So FYI, all right, unpause, go. Yeah. And you and then if somebody said, well, I don't care, I'm still going to get those 200 NPCs. And you say, okay, the GM will say, okay, let me balance this out. All right, half those NPCs decide that they're on your side and the other half decide they're on the other player's side. So now you have a mutiny. What are you going to do? Yeah. Right. Exactly. Usually you don't know. (laughs) Then it really does become Battlestar Galactica. Yeah. (laughs) As a GM, sometimes you really don't know that you've screwed up until you try to set up the next game and everybody's like, 
nobody wants to play Trek anymore, guys. We're done. <laughs> and that's yeah. when you find out there was a problem, and you're like, well, I, di- I didn't see that big of a problem. It was a, f- a-, a-, a great adventure. And then under there were undertones of players who didn't want to articulate that they were not having a good time, and they're like, oh, I want to go do another game. And then it's kind of like broken. It's too late. So you as the GM have to keep your eye on what's going on and player morale to kind of a slightly different degree than you would otherwise. Yeah. Yeah. Versus being murder yeah. hobos. There's no hierarchy in the murder hobos. <laughs> right. Right? Listen, I have, I've got to have a confession time here. Saturday night we had Dungeons and Dragons, right, that we played. And uh, the party came across some goblins <laughs> that oh had gosh. found they had found the sled of iron ingots that these dwarves had lost because they got attacked by a yeti. Well, the dwarves had contacted the party saying, "Can you help us find our sled of ingots?" And they said, "Sure." So they went and found it, and there was these six goblins pulling it to their um, bigger like wagon, you know, that they had hitched up to two polar bears. And um, the way that the scenario was written in the book was like the goblins were more than happy to give it up. They just found it like and they're cold and they're hungry. They just want to go home. You know, let me guess. And blood. Was oh, spilled. my gosh. It was like blood. <laughs> but it was only from half of the half team. of the group, like half of them you were divided trying to the like, party. Oh, oh dude, yeah. The, half the party was like, wait, wait, wait. And the other half is just like more arrows, <laughs> more punching, more arrows and punching. You know, and it, it was, was just—it was it, so fun. <laughs> I'm just like, it's I, great because you have these like, <laughs> you have these players that are supposedly good aligned, and they're yeah. killing these surrendered beings just like that are surrendering her, and right. trying to flee, and they're just yeah. like pot shotting them and laughing while they do it. Well, yeah. if you were, if you had a hierarchy, one guy would have been responsible for that crap going down, right? Oh, yeah. So th- this is how we, yeah. cir- we let's circle this back to tips on how to make it work. Cause you do want to make it yeah. work. Cause everybody should play games like this. Sometimes, you know, I mean, I played yeah. old FASA star Trek in the eighties with a whole bunch of teenage guys that were all older than me in high school. There was no way I was ever going to be the captain. I was lucky to press one button on the bridge. Right. So one of the things that I did on rogue trader, when I decided, I was like, well, this is a rogue trader game. What does it mean to be a rogue trader? I, I, right. I found that class interesting. And before I knew it, I had volunteered to be the captain. Right. Um, and, uh, what I thought would be fun was to, to be captain incompetent and to reduce my role as captain. And I wanted every, from the beginning, from the beginning <laughs> yep. to have everybody yeah. know that it was their job to do their job. And it wasn't my job to be the hero. Um, and that worked for a little while until every till you get a reputation for being incompetent and everybody treats you like you're incompetent when you're <laughs> trying to be competent. And so it had, that had pros and cons, but it was, it was fun at first, um, to, to disarm everybody, especially in a group of players that I, I didn't know half the guys that had played before, yeah. you know, they were strangers to me. So I wanted to give so, them room to be experts and to be cool. Yeah. And I think that the a great model for this is uh, Captain Jack Sparrow in um, Pirates of the Caribbean, yeah. right? That's how you model this, right? Where he seems like an idiot, but all of a sudden he'll pull off some amazing things. Yes, yeah. And he's got kind of a plan, but you, you kind of think that he's a loose cannon a little bit. or Totally self-interested. He, totally self-interested. Maybe doesn't know what he's doing half the time. And all of a sudden, like you're like, oh. He did know how to do that. Interesting. Yeah. You know, and so I think that that's a like if you're going to play the captain incompetent because I I think I think the danger is real of playing too incompetent. Right. 
and then all of a sudden you're the idiot, yes. right? Like in the group, and you're the captain idiot in the group, and nobody wants to listen to you because you're the dummy. Um, or you do and, something so you know, horrible you can't come back from it. Like you right, overplay right. your character. You're like, well, what you did was so immoral and unethical. We can't follow you anymore. And then you're like, but but we're all playing this game, right? Yeah. It's like the murder yeah. hobo moment where you you know yep. you thought you could get away with because you're the captain and you have the power. You thought you could get away with something. So you had an interesting moment during our Rogue Trader game where you decided to almost unilaterally kill a general who had failed at his job. Yeah, because and I, had, I would. I, I yeah, go I, ahead. I, I had. I, I that was a legal decision. That was yeah, based sure, in absolutely. law. Because he he had uh, abated and given comfort to the enemy in a time of war and. On paper, I was his superior officer, even though he didn't acknowledge me. But the the, the civilian authority made me this, the commander-in-chief, right. and he was subordinate to me. And we caught him being a traitor, so I, I put a hole in his head. Because so let, Let's clarify. <coughs> you caught him being a traitor, so you took him to a back alley yes. where nobody yeah. could see and then put a bullet in his Yeah, that's yeah. true. That's true. <laughs> uh, that, that was captain's choice, right? <laughs> yeah. And so uh, the, here's the interesting thing about that. I am and, fully convinced yeah, the civilian... Exactly population would be behind this decision yeah. so let's go in this back let's alley let's go in the back <laughs> alley because we didn't want under, we were in the middle of the battle and we didn't want to undermine morale yeah and so <laughs> the interesting thing the interesting thing about this is that i would say that the party was absolutely split 50 50 on that like there were some people that were like i am not behind this at all and there were some people that were like we should have shot him twice <laughs> right. Well, yeah. And there's also the genre. I mean, I'm like Yeah, it's a it's a grim dark. You know, I'm the genre. guy who keeps trying to take off my Star Wars t shirt to play Grim Dark. And so I yeah. had a Grim Dark moment. Where oh, I yeah, thought this would fit the good. universe. You know, instead and of And I'm not don't get me wrong, Dan, I'm not criticizing you. What I'm saying is that you talked about having a moment that you can't come back from. Yeah. And I think that moment would have been if all the players are like, Oh my gosh, what did you just do? Yeah. But yeah. not all the players were. And that's my point, right? Yeah. Is that half of the party was like, I don't know about that. And the other half is, like I said, we should have shot him twice. you know. And I think Lincoln wanted to set his body on fire with his flamethrower or something like that. You know, so, you know, so, I mean, it was one of those, one of those things where it's just like, um, that was a, that was a grimdark decision because it's a grimdark setting. Yeah. And you had made a decision as the captain that not everybody agreed with, but it didn't alienate everybody. You know right. what I mean? So right. that uh, you didn't come across, you came across actually in the moment as very competent, maybe just a little ruthless. Well, you know, it was life or death, right? We were in yeah. the, the, the city had not been saved yet. And right. here he was undermining everything we were trying to do for his own personal benefit. So he yeah. was a completely immoral character. And we'd established that for a couple of episodes. So I felt yep, like... You know, and and I felt like we were losing control, and I had to take his, I had to take that queen off the board so I could deal with the the knights and the rooks. Yeah, uh, and that's what what and I guess and so I don't know. It was probably a bad decision, but I probably you know, if that would have happened in World War One, every player would have wanted to put a bullet in him for doing that, right? Because that was a grim. There's no bet. Yeah. It was grim dark history, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so anyway, just going down that road, there's deci- there's decisions that have to be made. And usually in a, in a, in a more 
horizontal, lateral RPG. Everybody communally makes a decision or everything usually has a majority. And you don't have this life or death in the hands of one person to be examined later. Nobody remembers exactly who was on my side and who wasn't on my side. Everybody just remembered I was the guy who had to make make that tough call. And, you know, I think that that... So I talked about party conflict earlier. That was some interesting party conflict, right? You didn't take away anybody's ability to not play the game at that point, right? You weren't weren't creating a toxic uh, player conflict. But all of a sudden, like, people were like, whoa, were we okay with that? Do you know what I mean? And and starting to, like, look at each other and and work that out through each other, I think is, is good and healthy in a game. And and that moment would absolutely would not have come up if we weren't playing a hierarchy style game. Yeah. Well, I, I don't know something. Similar. I don't know if I agree with that actually because I think any player could have said we need to kill this guy and just sure. pulled him in the alley and shot him, whether they were the captain or not. What was interesting about the situation was because he was the captain and the commanding authority there on the battlefield, is that it made all of us pause. Right. Potentially withholding our hand because there was this feeling, this sense of dynamic of authority to be able to hold a court martial. Right. Yeah. Because any any of us could have just I mean, as an example, years ago, we were playing a Star Wars game and one of our player characters um, got possessed by some I don't know. I don't know. Some force thing got possessed by some evil Sith spirit from beyond the grave or something. And uh, me, not a leader. I made a choice. He was about to, it was the end of the night and he was getting ready to like board a ship. And I knew the GM was going to use this player because he took his character sheet. I knew the GM was going to use this character to make him a, like an arch nemesis in the future. Right. So I made a call and I took out my blaster and I shot him in the head. <laughs> I would, this was not one of not my a games leader. for the record. I, I... <laughs> not a leader. You were, this was, yeah, this was in Mike's house actually. Yeah. Uh, I, not, I was not a leader. I had no authoritative role, but I ma- I presented the exact same scenario, but it was different because, you know, there was no authoritative choice behind it that made the other players kind of have to sit there and decide, am I going to support this just based off of a hierarchy or not? Yeah. Yeah. So I think it, pre- it presented a different dynamic. Yeah. Uh, there, but anyone, you know, those scenarios can happen either way. It just it brings a little bit of spice or flavor into it. It is really important that hierarchies yeah. come from rules, and the rules have to be understood in the universe, right? Mm-hmm. So, for instance, there's that moment in Battlestar Galactica where he's, you know, where uh, Apollo says, "Well, if you don't, if if we don't have articles, if we don't have the cons- constitution, you're not a president, and you're not an admiral, and I'm not a captain. We're just a bunch of people, right? None of this." Hierarchy matters without a common framework of, right. of, of a rule setting. And that has to be understood by everybody, right? That has to be part of the, the fabric of, of the storytelling. That, and that's yeah. kind of one of the, the social contracts of playing a game with a hierarchy is that everyone to one degree or another is committed to, to that legal framework. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. In Star yeah. Trek, it's easy. You can say you've all graduated from the academy, which means you've all been indoctrinated, right? Yeah. But, you know, <laughs> in Grim Dark, that means something very different, right? Because you have people coming from different disciplines. You know, you've got necro, necro people and, you know, all kind of things, right? But yeah. even in that universe, the hierarchies were very clear around the emperor and stuff yep. like that. Um, c- yeah. A couple oh, – I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say, uh, you know, another another way – and I had thought about this originally before you had um, 
I wanted to be the rogue trader was that I said, you know, pick, go ahead and pick a character. We just won't have a captain. Yeah. You know, like we won't have a rogue trader. I'll play like the GM will be the rogue trader. We'll have an NPC rogue trader yeah. and he'll give you guys missions and you go do your thing. And so that is a way we talked about earlier that like, if you don't want to have a hierarchy in your system, you're kind of limited in terms of the genre of games you can play. Well, that's the way you get around that. Yeah. That's the way where you say, okay, you don't have a hierarchy. Basically you guys are a specialized team and your hierarchy. The captain is going to give you your missions. All right, or you can do it like we do Mothership, and you wake up one day and your captain's blown his head off. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> There's that, too. More darkness. Yeah. More what darkness. do you do? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's great. It, yeah, exactly. So, you know, I had I had gone into prepping at, at a certain point knowing that I was going to have a captain that was going to basically direct you guys to do stuff. And then you said, oh, I'm going to be the rogue trader. I'm like, okay, well, there goes that plan. And we're gonna, yeah. <laughs> you know, we're gonna go with the the hierarchy. And I'm glad we did. I thought it was a very good learning experience for me. Yeah. Like, and you know, and and uh, I think a learning experience for a lot of players. We had some really interesting moments. And uh, but you know, you can take any one of these games that require that, like a Star Trek game. Man, you can you can have your classes, and you guys are the away team. Yeah, like you're the cool away team. Right. You know what I mean? So. And it, what it does is it kind of if there's a room on the ship or in the thing that where all the decision making happens for the captain, the story has to be pushed out of that room. Like you just said, the away team is yeah. better than more drama on the bridge, drama on the bridge, drama on the bridge. Well, drama on the bridge really came from you know Horatio Hornblower and all those old sea stories that got shunted into Star Trek, where that that should be. Where the story happens is what's the next great decision, you know, master and commander. What's the next thing the captain gonna is the captain going to do? do? Like you can untie that knot. The universe is bigger than the bridge, and the reason why those TV shows are so focused on the bridge is that where that's where they spend all their money to build sets, so they can do bottle episodes <laughs> right. there. So, going down to the planet or going outside, uh, you know, being far away from that authority figure is can be a lot more fun. You know, it's yeah. like the captain sends you off. Well, I do this in Star Wars right now. Like I have a group that has a Jedi master um, and he says, hey, you guys need to go do this thing. Come back or, you know, if you come back, it means you survive. So see you later. <laughs> um, and they're yeah. all equal, but they all report back to this guy. So right. um, they everybody has technically a master, but he has no influence on the character's decisions. Right. But besides kicking off the adventure at the beginning. Yep. So yep. one of the other and tips is if you're playing a hierarchy game, which I recommend everybody should do it and try it, um, in session zero, talk about it with the players and say it's okay to, you know, you know, to it's okay to question orders if you're doing it in a friendly way and say, you know, if we do it this way, we may get a better result. And talk about what yeah. how you're gonna communicate as a group. I don't think we did that enough on Rogue Trader because I think we did have some communication barriers at first, but we, we we worked it out. But we worked it out by doing it, and and that's a testament to the veteran players that we had. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah, um, I think if it was a new group, it would not have worked out very well. We we would have really needed that zero session yeah. to do it. And and I and I would just add there too. Um, there's a stigma I think about people wanting to step up into a leadership role. Yeah. Um, because they don't want to be pegged as the guy who craves power. Yeah. 
Do you know what I mean? And like as a GM, it's be like, it's okay if you want to be the captain. Like it's okay. Like here's how we're going to play this. You know what I mean? And and that it, you know it's a good opportunity to talk it out. But like if there's somebody who wants to be that person, um, you know, like you shouldn't. They shouldn't like hide because it, like it's a great opportunity for someone to be a leader. Yeah. Even if it's a tabletop role playing game. And you and, know? and use the GM, get to pick the best player to be the captain, and sometimes that takes a leap of faith, and sometimes it's clear who the captain should be, sometimes it's not. Um, sometimes you pick the captain who thinks he should be the captain or she should be the captain, whether that's a good idea or not. Um, yeah. a group dynamics really come into play. But if you if you pick the most compassionate, thoughtful person in the group, you're probably gonna be okay. If, if, yeah. if you pick somebody that is very empathetic and sympathetic of how other people who have a lot of social skills, you, you'll do fine. You can play Star Trek all, all night long and it won't be, a, it won't be a, yeah. a thing. If you have somebody who's single-minded and is, doesn't care if he's, he or she has stepped on toes, um, it's just not going to last. And you'll go into all this work to prep a campaign and for everybody to make characters that go nowhere. And everybody has a folder full of characters that only played one or two you know, mm-hmm. scenarios that never got played again. Mm-hmm. And that's really what you want to avoid. You want to be able to play it long enough to say, yeah, we did that for a bunch of se- sessions and that was good and we enjoyed it. Yeah, I think the Serenity RPG was a fun example of being able to kind of set those expectations that the captain is not a say-all uh, player, because if anyone is familiar, you know, with watching Firefly, they know that in the TV show, Mel is, you know, he's a very much an authoritative figure and he can get in there and make those choices. But, um, you've also got Jane who's like, who was Jane's best friend? It wasn't Mel. It was his gun Vera, right? (laughs) (laughs) And at any, at any moment in time, Jane would have turned on Mel and he did it a few times in the show for what he thought was in his best interests. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the Serenity RPG, when the game first starts, regardless of who has the captain role, you know, the understanding of, hey, the setting of this game is that you guys are all in a rust bucket trying to make it make it, make it, it work. Yeah, and, yeah you're uh, all in your the same cap- boat. <laughs> yeah, and your captain, you may, be, you may be the captain because you're paying the lease on this thing, but at the end of the day, you can't make this ship fly without everybody else. Right. And, and, and so yeah. you guys have to understand that you're, you're a small skeleton crew dynamic in this game. And like you said, Dan, establish it from uh, session zero, and that's the big thing, communication up front. And once everybody gets it and understands it, then you'll have a good time playing it. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. So don't hold back. You know, if there's a game on the that you've wanted to buy, but you're like, oh, is my group going to do this? Just give it a try. You know, take the leap, and uh, you'll find out. And you can also, your players will also surprise you, and showing faith in people will also surprise you. Yeah. Yeah, and you know, I think that there is a way to come back other than killing the captain, which is probably having a conversation with the captain as an aside. Like, if things are going badly, right? You can sit down with the guy who's playing, guy or girl who's playing the captain, and just say, "What do you think is? How do you think it's going right now? You know what I mean? Like, is so... you know, so what, what do you think is happening right now? You know? So I think you can have that conversation with them the and just say, like, what is it yeah. you say you're doing here? And, you know, and maybe the answer is, maybe the answer is, okay, well, like, um, you know, let's, let's try to be a little bit more democratic, maybe. Or the answer is, let's take your character and maybe we retire them and you run up a new character. 
You know what I mean? And, and we and we turn your character into the into the NPC. You know, I mean, like you don't want to do that if they're like a little hostile to it. But you know, if things are not going well, you may want to have that conversation. Yeah, yeah. It's better to figure out a way to solve the problem that works for everybody than to kick anybody out or to have somebody leave in a huff. It's better it's better to have conversations outside the game to make sure the game, the game are working than it is to be passive aggressive and say, "Well, you so and so didn't show up, so I guess we're changing the gears here, you know." Um, that <laughs> or, never pans or out. Or being like, "Nope, sorry, you can't do that as the captain because, you know, it's bad." Cuz <laughs> of fiat. Yeah. No, if <clears throat> yeah, if and sometimes as the GM, it's it's it can be your fault if communication's not not happening the way it should. So take ownership uh it's better to have more communication than less and yeah. if if you think that less communication is a way to avoid offending somebody you're probably wrong you probably need to talk more yes. apologize more and be thoughtful more than 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 to say well i i i, I thought so and so you was going to do this and they ended up doing the opposite and every people walk away like you know jay and i we have a, a former player who lives right around the corner from us that there was like some bad communication and he, and we've never gamed with him ever again. So, uh, and that's, that was, that was not, not useful for him or for us. Mm-hmm. Right. Anyway, right. Just words to live by. And yes, it, you're going to stress your social dynamics with a hierarchy. It's you, you wouldn't be the first person who did it, did it. You won't be the first person who messed up. Just give it, give it a go and, and see what works. Yeah. But you know that stress causes can cause party conflict in a good way, which can cause some really great role playing moments. Yeah. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So. Yeah. And just bring brownies to your next event. Yeah. Just That's keep, right. keep br- bringing food and uh, yeah and yeah, bribery works. Yeah. <laughs> All right, peeps, we beat this one to a stick. Sir, do you mind if we uh, uh, yeah, permission to end the podcast, sir? Ah, uh, permission granted. <laughs> Aye, aye, Captain. I was going to push the button anyways. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Thank you, everybody, for listening. We really appreciate it. Uh, and, hey, if you feel like trolling us, we kind of welcome it at this point. <laughs> we, we have not arrived, for we have not been trolled. <laughs> have a good night, everybody. See ya. <laughs>